Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Drive Time Podcast, Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. Again, not going to ask you how it's going. I'm still pretty miserable. I'm your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, a very tough film room session as we go through this loss. One more time before we turn the page to the New York Jets, the film review, the key stats, the top five tapes, the big play breakdowns, the snap counts, all of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Well, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is that a lot of the issues that occurred in this game occurred because of attrition and injuries and getting deep, deep into the roster of players that typically shouldn't be doing more than special teams on this current football team. The bad news is, I don't know that you have the solution to that because Connor Williams is going to miss the entire year. Torn ACL, he will be out for the rest of the season. Javon Holland reported himself that he has a pair of sprained MCLs. He's hoping to get back this week. We missed him desperately. Deshaun Elliott is in the concussion protocol chance you don't have him for the game on Sunday against the New York Jets. Jalen Phillips is not coming back in the pass rush. Looked rough without him. Jerome Baker still down. I thought Duke Riley played really well in his absence, but the offensive line attrition sounds like no Rob Hunt this week. So Liam Eikenberg's banged up. Is he going to play center? Is Lester Cotton going to stay in the game? Are you going to have to call up Chase and Hines? You are going to have to knit and grit your way through the last four games of the schedule with a team that might be held together by band-aids and bubble gum. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that the usual suspects on tape kind of gave you what you can expect. Let's go ahead and get this thing rolling here. But before the tape real quick, I want to start the show in the same way that I began the instant reaction podcast early on Monday morning. I think I communicate on here you know, a disconnect about how we should feel about disappointment. And I want to go ahead and kind of rephrase that and retool that a little bit because I don't want to come across like I'm not hurting from that one. I still can't get right. I I feel like my dog died, man. Well, my cat. I'm a cat guy. But I I feel like crap. (laughs) I I don't want to be doing this. This sucks. This is hard. And, you know, I blame the fact that my kids were asleep when I got home and were gone to daycare when I woke up because they're usually my cure-all and recording this is the last thing I'll do before I get a chance to see them again. It's been almost 24 hours and usually I can get over losses at some point and I will say I thought the Chiefs loss was an ultimate low point this year, the lowest I would feel until an inevitable like playoff loss that you know didn't feel so inevitable two days ago, but now it kind of does. I mean, a little bit. I I know that the year changes, and I'm not going to overreact to one game and build upon that, but I think that the losses that this team has accrued in terms of injuries are going to change the complexion of this football team. And other teams have had gone through that too. You know, no Mark Andrews for the Ravens. Kyle Hamilton's going to miss some time there in that backfield for them. They've had injuries in their own right. The Buffalo Bills, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, uh, so many injuries on that side of the ball for them. Trey White's down, you know. Micah Hyde left their last game. Like, teams have gone through this, but for the Dolphins, the way this thing was constructed, it kind of feels like, or, or just the, the the glut of injuries at key positions that change the way this team was humming. It changes fundamentally who they are. So that's why I get really concerned about it. But again, feel like my freaking cat died. This sucks. I think the part that sucks the most 
is, is the zap to the confidence. And I get that because I've been confident in this team all year long. I did say after the first half of the Chiefs game, I no longer believe they're a Super Bowl contender. After the Raiders game, it felt the same way. But these last two weeks, they brought me back in because I thought they're going to improve over the course of December and put themselves right back in a position where, you know, I can see the forest for the trees. I can see the potential of a, a one loss, a, a one-off game that, you know, I guess draws these grand reactions and that's the part about this that I think we love, right? Is that the venting of all that stuff can help you cope and, and expressing extreme feelings and asking for firings and benchings and drafting new players to replace players. I get what that mechanism does in terms of how it helps you cope. But if you really believe this team's going to finish 9-8, and eight, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, it's still a very good football team. It's still a top five or six team in the NFL. They just might not be in that top one or two anymore because of the injuries. I think that's, that's my take, but that's nine and eight losing out. That's some Colin Cowherd ish, man. That's an overreaction to the extreme, but watching this tape, gosh, the opportunity that we let go by the boards, I, I, it's going to hurt until Sunday. And I fear that really, I don't think you'll get good feelings back about this team unless you beat the jets and the Cowboys. So might have to be in the mud for a couple of weeks here. It sucks. I, I hate the low red zone play work. I hate the idea of keeping guys out that maybe could have pushed through and gone. Although we, you know, you don't always hear the full stories. Holland gave you the update himself. So you can't really blame that one too much. I hate that the quarterback had pressure kind of affect him late in the game. I hate the fact that the defense choked it away at the very end. I hate it all. But please understand that even though I refuse to tweet doom and gloom, and share in the misery of we have to trade for Justin Fields. We have to, you know, find the new coach. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, at the request of many, ask Mike McDaniel, why did you guys collapse? This is just not how press conferences work, guys. Like, you're not going to come in here and change the way press conferences work for, for years, okay? Just please, please know that. But I am very disappointed. I'm very upset. I feel like I had half my heart ripped out, and I feel with you guys in that way. I just don't take the frustrations out I think the way some fans do and it bothers me it, it affects me because seeing you guys say that not all of you guys it, it makes me feel even worse because I that's not the fun part of the job so just wanted to get that out there let's go ahead and get the tape here real quick we're going to change the way I do this normally we do the big play breakdowns really there was only a couple I mean the, the Zach Sealer touchdown the, the muff punt the, the Bradley Chubb fumble recovery that's a self-inflicted error from the Titans I just don't feel like it's Gen genuine to the process here to talk about that. So rare explosives, probably the least we've had all year from an offensive perspective. I want to go through the end of game sequence for this portion because that's where the game was lost and feels like the biggest plays happened in this game. So it starts with the Titans first touchdown drive. And this is going to frustrate you going through it with me again here because I wrote down UGH, UGH like 12 times because Miami should have won this game Several times. I thought we had a chance to end it on second and four when Bradley Chubb looped inside and squared up Will Levis and absolutely blasts him and forced a ball to flutter off of his hands because Cater is getting depth and looks like he's in position to make a play on the football, but he flips his hips and tries to elevate, but he couldn't because he slipped out from underneath him. Just think about that. He makes that catch. You're on the clock out. Win by 14. None of those last drives happen. You say, okay, ugly offensive performance, but we win the game anyway by 14 points. No one's sad except for the Connor Williams injury and the rest of the injuries that happened. But alas, you at least would have gotten out of there 10-3, and three, and none of this narrative would have been going on. Like The injury stuff, we would have known about that internally, but you wouldn't have to deal with all the vitriol 
on Twitter. Even still, things are collapsing around Levis in the next play. Chubb bends the angle again. Wilkins inside gets inside into the, the lap of the quarterback, and Levis survives it and flips it to, to Tajay Spears, who gets 10. And it seems innocuous in a 14-point game with three and a half minutes to play, but these little plays kept them alive and allowed them to get to the explosive plays they would have later on. But if you go back and watch it, Bradley Chubb was clean. He beat the left tackle, and Levis like pumped, and Chubb tries to swat at the football and flies by him. Like This tape is so frustrating. A sack in that spot, second and 17 with the clock winding. They're probably not going to overcome that. Even still, it's second and 15 because they get a false start on the next play. So it would have been like second and 20 probably. And they get a screen call against our deep shell, and we don't contact the ball carrier until 20 yards down the field. A great play call. We're not ready for it. I think there was minimal communication. You saw the defensive backs moving a beat slower. Like, you know how we praise Tua's anticipation? Think about going from like Tua to Rosen. That's what it looked like defensively in terms of how quick guys reacted to what they saw and what played out in front of them. Just not good enough. So they get another dump off, and our second level comes up a little bit, and, and Levis dumps it into Nick Westbrook-Akini, and it goes for a huge gain, 22 yards, because they reacted to the, the short stuff, and David Long kind of sneaks up, and there's no pass rush on this play. Like the, it, All of a sudden, it's first and goal at the three with 2.46 to play and three timeouts. Like, game on, man. And on this play, I thought was where it really really changed because the pass rush didn't even play the snap. They they engaged their guy like a Hail Mary and then just kind of stopped, or like a victory formation or a clock-killing play. And that's what happens. 22 yards in a huge spot. Like, you get one more tackle inbounds there short of the sticks, and you could possibly get closer to that two-minute warning. You make, like, three plays short of that, opposed to them scoring in two plays, make it go for five plays before they find the end zone, and it changes the dynamic completely to where they have to onside kick it. But... It felt like we shut things down and just said, come on into the end zone. Bradley Chubb said as much after the fact that he felt like the team put it into cruise control. How? How does that happen? How? (laughs) Just brutal. And what do you know? Brandon Jones covering grass in the big play. Elijah Campbell late to react. All year, this has been a good football team. We played, I thought, a good game in Philly. Got really bad luck officiating-wise. We played one good half in KC. Played one good quarter, the first quarter in Buffalo, offensively at least, not defensively. I haven't seen this, though. This was what I'm used to watching when I watch, you know, Raiders and Chargers on Thursday night football. Like, 80% of the league is bad football, right? That's what the Dolphins showed you in this game in those last couple of drives, and I'm I'm appalled by it. I haven't seen it all year. That's not who this football team has been. It's not who I expect them to be going forward. But because you did it for four minutes— you're now in a precarious spot that you, well, not precarious, our second seed in the AFC, but it feels like doom and gloom, huh? And they score on the very next play. And again, over the two-minute warning, three timeouts, ball game on, man. On that touchdown, too, Bradley Chubb slips and goes down. Ogba gets stonewalled. The interior two guys run into each other and collapse, and it lets Levis run and create. And, like, cover up, because if he gets tackled short of the goal line, you're winding clock, you're possibly calling a timeout, but Cater goes and chases the quarterback and just leaves DeAndre Hopkins all by himself for a room service touchdown. (laughs) Gosh, this is frustrating to go back over. Then the two-point conversion. Now you have a chance to at least make it overtime or win if you get the stop, right? They're down by eight points, get the football back. Like, it is a long shot to go score a touchdown, go get two points and tie it up to go to overtime. But 
They run a switch release, and both Cater and X take the inside route. Westbrook, Akina is all alone. Easiest pitch and catch for two points. And if they covered that, everything else was blanketed with Levis rolling and shortening his options. Again, I say, ugh. Our three and out offensively. I think the first down play is where we really let the opportunity slip through the cracks. You got an excellent drive block from Austin Jackson that widened the B gap a mile long, but Lester Cotton on the backside does this consistently, like cannot locate the backside field for either the second or first level and winds up blocking nobody because the backside pursuit is the one that got Raheem Mostert to the ground. And if he walls that off, it's blocked so well that he can bang it into that bend back lane and pick up five or six yards before he even gets contacted. And the way Raheem runs through contact, it's going to be eight or nine yards, maybe even a first down, but ideally it's eight or nine. So you can then convert on second or third down and that's going to waste timeouts. It's going to wind more clock, but because you didn't do that, the Titans get the ball with not just like a minute left and no timeouts, you know, they get it with plenty of time and all their timeouts. On second down, we could not detach from a catch and climb block with Lester and Liam, which has been a consistent issue with those two guys all year as well. And the guy we had to block at the second level stands up Alec Ingold, which then Raheem Mostert runs into him. And you just get a log jam where if you just got off that block, you could have created more space. Maybe Raheem gets four more yards and it's third and two or third and one. Nope, it's third and seven. Third down or third and six, sorry. Third down, I thought this was the best example of Tua filling pressure in the entire game because Braxton Berrios has a two-way go from the slot and runs a wide-open out route into space that was vacated by a clear-out route that was designed to do so, which leads me to believe that's where the action was supposed to go. Kendall Lamb chases a slant inside. That's not what you're supposed to do at left tackle. Pass it off to your guard, and it opens up a looper for a defensive tackle to go around the outside and Lester Cotton can't get to that. I've been very critical of Lester Cotton's play, but that's not something he should be expected to do. So Tua has to step up off the spot and I I thought he could have thrown it before he did, maybe throw it, take a shot, but I thought he was affected by the pressure and felt the need for the fourth quarter to get to clean spots in the pocket because it threw off any timing of the play with him being aware of that backside pressure, I guess front side for a lefty. And there was two clear out routes from both Waddle and Tyreek that were not options. They clearly wanted to clear things out for either a out route to Berrios, which I thought to me was the clear option, number one on the play. And then Raheem had a check down option as well, but it, it didn't work out that way. So Tua steps up off the spot and the Titan edge rushing off Austin Jackson had great effort and great pursuit and actually stays with the play because Tua jukes out the first guy and probably has a first down if it's not for the backside pursuit, but he gets to Tua, closes it down, fourth down, punt the ball away. And it's a low line drive punt and that's only 31 yards. Like we can't, our punt team is awful. It's awful. Titan second touchdown. First play is just brutal. They only had three eligibles running into a seven man coverage drop and it was deep. And they had check down options after chips and releases that Levis could have gone to. But why would you? Because three guys ran with one crosser on double crosses over the middle of the football field, like deep mesh. And they completely abandoned, oh, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins for 35 yards. And that was when you could kind of see how this is going to end, I thought. Then it's 15 more yards on a little bubble screen that's well executed. And we get caught out of position. Brandon Jones misses a tackle on a first down play. And I think the reason that that the crosser to Hopkins is wide open is because no one communicates the coverage down below and you get three guys in one position. Safety play was the biggest discrepancy here that I have, or the biggest uh, error I have on the Dolphins defense. And it turns, you know, missing that tackle turns a second and 11 down in the mid red zone into second and three. At this point, you have to let them score because they're going to anyway, probably. And then even still on second and three, Christian Wilkins forces Derrick Henry to completely reverse field, but Campbell gets clamped down too tight, and it's a touchdown where it very easily could have been a loss, and third and four, and now you can get two stops and win the game. 
Nope. But we get the ball back on the final drive, and again, that's where the pressure from the Titans took over. They get in from the left side with 96, beating Kendall Lamb, and forces Tua to hold the ball a little bit longer on mesh, and I thought that it cost him a few yards, maybe even a, a getting out of bounds because Barrios was wide open, but the throw's a little bit late, so it's a tackle inbounds for like six yards. The next play, 58, beats Austin Jackson, and that forces a throwaway while Tua's in the grasp in the pocket. Good job by getting rid of the ball, but you know, you can't take a sack there. Smythe catch makes it third and two, one that he caught with his knees. Uh, I'm not sure that we knew the clock would wind because we spent eight seconds over the ball during a winding clock. Inexcusable. You throw the swing route to Devon Achan, who does a good job making the first guy miss, but then you have to get out of bounds or you have to get the first down there. Winds up getting neither. One ref uh, blows it dead and calls it out of bounds. The other ref winds the clock and no one knows about it. That shrinks another 15 seconds off the clock. Then fourth down, I thought Tua had Durham right at the sticks on an out route. Passes it up, tries to climb out of it, gets tripped by his own man. And that's the game. Like It felt like as the game went on, the combination of pressure and their driving on what they anticipated the Dolphins were going to run really got to Tua and forced him to kind of second-guess himself, and that was all it took for the offense to go into the tank there. Good for them. That's what you're paid to do as a defensive coordinator. They did it. Tough, tough loss. Let's go ahead and take the first break right there, come back on the other side, do top five tapes and offensive notes and defensive notes, all that next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Top five tapes. Number one, Zach Sealer. The pick six is just an example of what makes him such a great player. He always, A, plays with great pad level, which allows him to dictate where the rep goes, and B, his eyes are always up, which allows him to retrace with the quarterback, and this time it took him right to the play on the screen pass, and he gets paid off with a second career touchdown on his first career pick. He was just a wrecking ball all game long. I thought they came in hoping to minimize his power by going and getting him and shorting his runway, but he used that to his advantage with the patented arm over stuff. Swims, dip, and rips had it all working great game for Zach Sealer David Long was my second top tape it was fitting that he played like he knew where everything was going against his former team right shooting gaps reading blocks and leverage firing his gun when it was time to go and playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage the way he attacks blocks with a combination of explosiveness and slipperiness it just jumps off the tape every single week and I thought he was super charged up for this game and it showed my third top tape goes to Raheem Mostert his backside vision gives you a chance to do some really cool stuff scheme wise like they ran double split flow, which is Ingold and Smythe going across the flow of how the offensive line's blocking to the left. They're going right, and it allows him to press that play side and get those seal blocks from the two white lightnings out there and Smythe and Ingold uh, to, to create that lane inside for him to run through. And his strength is the thing, man. That and the vision both stand out. His ability to stay on his feet through the trash with guys draped around his waist. He can make some failed blocks irrelevant because he can push through it. And I love the way that he presses blocks, like the way that linebackers want to scrape off of a, a stack in front of them and stay tight to that defensive lineman's butt. He does the exact same thing off of his blocker's butt where it really helps the offensive lineman hold those blocks because the D-line has to honor either gap inside or outside. And when he declares late like that, you, you just don't know until the last minute. So great game for Raheem Mostert. Now has the franchise record, tied for the franchise record, both in total touchdowns, 18, and rushing touchdowns, 16. Fourth tape was Bradley Chubb. He has become one of the best backside edge run defenders in the entire National Football League. Together, he and Phillips were the best in the league together. Uh, always finds a way to just condense inside, stay tight to the line of scrimmage, and get plays down in the backfield. He was taking on double teams all game, holding the point of attack, stacking the edge. And, of course, the one play that will you know, stand out to folks are, is the unsportsmanlike, but... Down in, down out. He was an absolute force in this one. My fifth top tape goes to Xavier Howard, who just looks so confident in the way he's playing right now. He's coming out of breaks really well. He's playing so well with that outside leverage, butt to the sideline, eyes of the quarterback, 
spring off of that back pedal step and find the football. He had a pick on the long Hopkins play. If he does not get tugged down by Hopkins in a, in great shape on a handful of other plays. In fact, it was three straight plays where I thought he could have had a pick and didn't get any of them. Could have changed the game. Could have saved three points, right? But there was uh, the the one on the sideline where he ran the fade for Hopkins, kind of threw him aside, caught it, couldn't get the feet down, and then undercuts that dig route. We've seen him do that so many times. I think back to DK Metcalf against the Seahawks a few years back, undercutting that play in the end zone for a pick. Close but no cigar, but he's had a hell of a year really kind of just playing what we're used to seeing with him with the aggressiveness. Close but no cigar, Alec Ingold, Deshaun Elliott, and Duke Riley also on my near the top five tapes. My general offensive notes. Cedric Wilson talked about this in his press conference on Tuesday about the Titans having an alert defender in the middle of the field, constantly looking for crossers. And it was so obvious on tape. I think it's a big part of why Miami was able to get 158 yards on the ground. And despite that, Austin Jackson saying that he felt the offensive line did not execute very well in the running game. And that seems like a disconnect there, right? 158 yards on the ground, but didn't execute. I'll tell you why. The Titans ran the closest thing we've seen all year to the Patriots' three high looks. Like on the first completion to Waddle, where he got popped and had to leave the game for a moment, Tua rips an absolute dime, a capital A anticipation strike, as JT O'Sullivan would say, right? But the play was the blueprint for their defense. We only had three eligibles in the pattern, and it looks like either cover two or two man. Two high safeties playing half field and either man coverage underneath or playing a cloud zone on the outside portion of the field. But the slot who is 10 yards off Tyreek, he winds up sprinting to the deep half field while that half field safety looks like he's going to occupy what would be a Tampa two drop, like running the pipe down the middle of the field to basically take away the vertical three inside of cover two. But then he stops immediately and squats on the waddle crosser. We hit it, but it required fantastic precision from your quarterback and receiver to get a, a big play there, and it gets a big hit on one of your top players. But they just did that all night long. I think Shane Bowen had a great plan along with Mike Vrabel and took away those middle shots in lieu of an extra hat in the box, and that's the give and take, right? They take something away, you have to capitalize because something else opens up. But we struggled so much to win our one-on-one matchups in the running game that some of those three and four yard plays, even the 10, 11 yard plays could have been out the gate for big chunks and taking the Titans out of that game plan the way you did with the Patriots game where you got big rushing yardage, got big rushing totals like the Jets game a few weeks ago, like because you couldn't win your one-on-one matchups there. And I talked about this, right? I like, my, my score prediction was way off, and I would have changed it had I known Rob Hunt didn't wasn't going to play in the game. But I talked about it in the, I think, Washington game, where getting certain guys off the field and certain guys back on the field makes this offense so much different from a running game standpoint, and that creates more opportunities in the passing game. And when you don't have the ability to win those one-on-one matchups up front, it changes the entire complexion of your offense. And that might be who we are going forward. So you're going to have to find a way to overcome it somehow. And that probably requires just even more of a passing attack than you want to run with. But that's what it's going to have to be. And so they they just, they stayed with this plan all night. It was like these inverted two looks where cornerbacks would get depth and safeties would come down and just buzz the middle of the field and take away verticals and crossers. I am glad it got put on tape here because you have to find ways to beat it going forward. I'm sure you're going to see it again. Great game plan there from Mike Vrabel, Shane Bowen, and company. And let's just be frank about it. Like, let's be honest about it. They got out coached. They had a plan that was better than yours, and the adjustments were not good enough. It happens because light boxes invite the run, and they tried it, but they just, there was more room for execution than what they got, especially late in the game. Those last three plays, gosh, they had chances on top of chances. And the thing now is that it cannot happen again, right? Like, not this week. I'm not sure the Jets would do that because they are sort of a 
this is how we play defense and you have to beat us. And it's not really how they play in general. So it would be a total scheme shift for them. But teams that play connected, smart football can do that. And that's what the Titans did, which is strange because they have struggled all year long with that exact thing. It, ah, it's so frustrating. So that's kind of my general assessment of how the Titans were able to stop Miami. If a team can play us like that, with more coverage dropping, and they win their pass rush one-on-one matchups and hold up against the point in the running game and get off blocks with those light boxes, there's not an offense on earth that will look polished in those situations. It's just not how, that's not how it goes. So that's where I think the corrections have to occur. Winning your favorable matchups in the trenches, and when you're on your ninth offensive line combination of the season, you have to switch center mid-game, a guy that didn't rep there all week. You have to shuffle your guards around to make up for him moving. It's just a lot, and I thought it got the best of us. I don't get why this team is such a bad screen team, by the way. Like, I got to do a deep dive on this, but I feel like not only is our success rate piss poor, like 20% or less, I feel like we lose big chunks of yards and get ourselves behind the chains, and you essentially put yourself in a spot where you have a holding call because, like, all of a sudden, second and 16 – And it also got Tyreek hurt. So I don't know, man. There's a lot to be mad about here. Let's talk about Tua's game real quick before our last break. The first drive looked like we're used to, right? Confident in the pocket. A whole shot between a trio of defenders with elite anticipation. A pump to hold the flat defender to create a corner route to Tyreek. It looks like we have seen all year. Plus, they run that inverted two look. Corners go deep. Safeties come up. And the ball goes right where it should against that look into the corner. I feel like you can usually tell with Tua how he's going to play early. And those first two splash plays had me thinking, yeah, he's about to go scorched earth again. We're going to win this game 42-14. But then you get a failed exchange down in the low red zone for the umpteenth freaking time this year. A-chan wide open to the flat. Julian Hill wide open to the corner. Waddle cooks his guy on the backside dig. Like you had three touchdowns on that play if you just get the freaking snap exchange. Gosh, dang it. Even when Tyreek went down the first play, right back to the well. And a good adjustment from the offense. Their crosser solution was coming from that front side of the play. Like, you can throw this route, but we're going to put a big lick on your guy or possibly jump it and pick it. But Tua throwing with such good anticipation before Waddle even clears that first line of defense with the inside leverage, right on time, boom, it's going to be sharp. It's going to look good, right? First couple of drives, looks so comfortable. And then I thought he left, you know, there was a couple of misses before the, the fourth quarter. I thought he left the fade short and flat to Cedric Wilson for the potential touchdown. Very good coverage, but it was clearly a check against an all-out blitz, which is good. The ball should come out hot in those spots, but the DB was dealing with Barrios motion out, out of his way. And that back pylon would have been a lot tougher to cover than a, a pass five yards into the end zone. And man, I'm on the first play of the fourth quarter, and I thought the two pressure stuff was going to happen earlier because I'm watching this throw Tyreek Hill to the corner. We are just cooking still. Like the passing game still looks good. I mean, he uncorks this thing from the far hash at the 40, and it hits Tyreek on the far sideline between two defenders to the five. That's a 35-yard hole shot from the far hash. That's fantastic football. One of the best throws of his career. The very next play where he tucks it and tries to run, Waddle uncovered, and I think if he keeps his eyes up a beat longer, he would have seen it, and that's kind of where the game went at that point in the opposite direction, just not seeing things as clearly where the rush impacted his vision down the field. That whole sequence down there in the low red zone is where I think the game changed in terms of how he was playing. You missed an open Waddle on the first down. The fade to Tyreek was not close, so he was blanketed in, in tight coverage, and then he slips into a sack, you know, falling on the turf. Not much there either in that play, but still, you can't take a sack there. Defense just beat us all night, man. That's really my takeaway. It felt like in that fourth quarter, Quarter, their picture changing and mixing coverages really had an impact that paired with how their pass rush was taking off. Like Tua just seemed to hesitate on some of those throws that just didn't want to rip those ones. And we already, you know, covered the final sequence. So that's kind of the book there. Like it wasn't a bad tape until late. He threw a check down to A-chan on first and 20 that was high. Like it could have been a big gainer. 
although it didn't have a huge impact because a few plays later they muffed the punt and we get a touchdown, but still on tape and you got to hit those throws. That was something I thought was missing from the game. The ability to find the checkdowns against those deep umbrellas and the ability to win more running game, you know, one-on-one options in the running game. So I think that's the story in the fourth quarter. Just stopped having trust on his pocket, and that's tough for any quarterback, but especially in this offense that is so dependent on timing and rhythm being right. Just was out of sorts. So... Uh, we have to get to the rest of the offense here and the defense and snap counts. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Final segment on a tape review podcast that I'm not sure the entire audience wants to hear today, but we're going to do it anyways. Let's go ahead and talk about the rest of the film here, the eligibles. I thought the Titans did a really good job of overplaying some stuff early, like commit to the side the motion was going towards and just deal with, deal with the rest of it after the fact and flow before the snap and take a chance and hopefully you get some losses. And they did that. And we immediately responded by working on that with some windback runs, a little end around action to Raheem for a big gain, fake counter action with Achan coming back out, following Tyreek in motion across the formation for a 20 or so yard run they were really using that overplay to their benefit and I thought from about the mid first drive to the rest of the first quarter but then it just kind of stopped as far as the individuals Waddle was eating early on in this game and they started focusing way more attention to him when Tyreek went out like those buzzing safeties from those three high shells essentially became bracketeers is that a word on Waddle and just kind of hemmed him in and then we didn't have anybody else step up to make a play besides Cedric Wilson for a couple of plays Uh, Tyreek I mean what can you say about the guy gutting it out making big plays late in the game special special player I don't have anything more than that Alec Ingold some critical blocks key seals good work in space he's the man he almost got top five tapes had a critical block on the second Raheem Mostert touchdown run Cedric Wilson shows up in the blocking game every single week then the catch on a fade is such a in such a key spot It reminds me so much of the fade last year he caught in the snow in Buffalo. Great concentration, field awareness, tap the toes, hands to finish it through the ground. The DPI route was also very crisp. The defensive back was playing off, and he sprints downhill right at him, stab step inside, and you see the DB flip his hips in that direction and then quickly get back out, and that's all it took because that half-second hesitation is all it takes in this league, and he grabs on and saves a touchdown because Tua hits the pylon with the football. Perfectly placed ball. I think Cedric would have been there un, unimpeded if he gets there for a touchdown, but it turns into a first and, and 10 down there right around the goal line, or the 10-yard line. I thought Devon Achan had his worst game as a pro. Like two plays that really annoyed me. 46 seconds left in the first half, third and seven, ball at the minus 34. Tua gets pressure and, and beats, beats it again. He evades it. And he, he was doing that in the first half the entire night, right? As he scrambles, Achan's jogging across the field just watching it, and Tua peels it back and throws to him. Maybe he's thinking no late across the middle of the field, but you have to put the effort in. If he sprints alongside his quarterback, it's probably a catch and a first down. Maybe you get points. Maybe you don't. But either way, the Titans don't get the football back and get three points. That's a three-point lack of effort play for my money. Then the deep shot. If he runs through that rather than starting to kind of look back for the football and track it and putting the hands out— I think it's a 94-yard touchdown. Like, Tua throws it when he's even, but as he's throwing the arm bar to kind of get by the cornerback the that he's about to beat, he looks back for the football. Like, you have 30 more yards to run, dude. Just keep your head down and run. Got to keep sprinting through the football. Actually, there's a third play that bothered me because just before the failed fade to Cedric Wilson, we run this little Texas route middle screen, and you're going to get tackled in open space sometimes, but he had one guy to beat in open space and didn't do it. Like, he's been doing that all year long. It's just not his best game. He had some impressive plays, but I think he'll look back at those three and feel the exact same way. And actually, on the we talked about this in the in the open too, like the, the third down catch on the final drive, like get out of bounds, man, or get the first down, one or the other. I thought Durham Smythe had some missed critical blocks, not his best game in this one. And that drop on second and four on Tyreek's first drive back out, that was the play before the missed connection on the deep H-hand throw. 
got to make that catch, man. It's a, hang on to the football like it was in your hands. Offensive line. Going into this tape, I was prepared for the worst, but I think there's some upside here. I think Liam starting the game at center is a much more manageable task than switching in-game. And good thing he got the experience earlier in the year, right? We're going to need that guy the rest of the way. That's how it is. And then if we can get Teron Armstead and Robert Hunt back soon, it sounds like t has a chance to play on Sunday. Robert Hunt, probably not. Uh, I thought Rob Jones looked pretty good and gives you a little more depth when Hunt does come back, although I would go with Jones over Cotton at left guard if it was me. Uh, more of the same from Austin. Thought he had a couple of pass rush wins against him, but other than that, he was snatching, trapping guys, getting to the premier of the running game. Just looks like a, a surefire, you know, long-time starter at right tackle for this football team. I thought there were struggles that popped up throughout the night at random times. They've got good pass rushers and a good job of disengaging from our blocks in the running game, getting quick interior pressure when it mattered most. Lots of mistakes here, though. Liam Eikenberg, drive-killing hole on the first full series that he's at center, second of the game for Miami. He went from first and 10 to plus 30 to first and 16 to minus 49. 21-yard uh, penalty there. On the two a scramble and completion to A-chan late in the first half, back to the old dead feet on contact, winds up getting out over skis on a stunt and gets destroyed inside. And Walla was naked on a shallow cross, but Tua has to evade a man when the window was open. There was some good in there. He did hit a Connor Williams type of cut block outside the numbers, but just some plays where the feel was totally absent and like you know crashing hard on a first level double that's already taken care of and then realizing too late after the fact the second level defender is already crashing in around him just a lack of awareness and feel at times I thought Kendall Lamb had his worst game of the year for the Miami Dolphins in this one really struggled staying attached on blocks in the running game and there was a, a play where Raheem had a huge run but the block didn't hold at the point and they made a tackle right at the line of scrimmage and that's part of you know what Austin Jackson said in his Tuesday media I felt like the offensive line did not win enough one-on-ones. There's a Mostert run where Julian Hill seals the edge and he has to get skinny, but Lamb is right there and just couldn't finish off the block. And it's a two-yard gain where otherwise I think it goes for 20 yards. In pass pro, the heels were clicking, feet together, had him off balance all night long. And then Lester Cotton just looking for work in the second level, blocking nobody. Uh, That's too frequently the case there. My defensive notes, had a lot of notes in the top five tapes. This is going to be shorter, but yeah, I think that you had a team that had to play a little bit soft late in the game due to injuries. I think you can see the fact that this team was down. It's Mike linebacker, it's communicator on the back end, and then eventually his running mate and Deshaun Elliott, not to mention who I think is our best pass rusher and best defender, that's my opinion, in Jalen Phillips. Tough situation. Haven't seen the edge struggle like that late in the game in, in, since the, the Buffalo game. I don't know. But yeah, it was shells late in the game with communication errors and busts and lack of pass rush lack of effort I thought we didn't win enough one-on-ones to impact Levis late in the game which is too bad because we were getting after him early in this one like it was a great tape until it wasn't I mean they created takeaways shut down the run tackled really well 99.6% win percentage on a day where your offense did almost nothing like that's pretty good for the defense but then it didn't finish that way I thought Christian Wilkins had a typical game of disruption stacking a run big sack couple of pressures I thought Deshaun Hand played well Ogba had a few plays as well so did Raekwon but just not consistent enough especially as pass rushers all those guys struggled in pass rushing situations I'm officially worried about the pass rush they played the game in a way that allowed Chubb to be held off the stat sheet because of the attention that he commanded as far as pass rushing goes. And then we just got nothing from the other side. Both Gink and Ogba were held in total check as pass rushers. I thought the JP injury meant we didn't, you know, we we need more offense, but all the confidence I had that that could happen is essentially down because of the Connor Williams injury. Down absolutely critical key parts to either side changes the dynamic of this football team. Like everyone deals with that, but we have avoided the key parts until the last few weeks.
Uh, second level, I thought Duke, he can play, man. His speed has been on display the last couple of weeks, and he's seeing things very clearly inside with how he fits the run. He's been impressive. In the secondary, again, tough when you're down your key traffic cop and Javon Holland. Even tougher when you lose to Sean Elliott because now it's Brandon Jones calling the signals, and it's just it's not been good there, man. So tough. and it, it, I, He's playing like 20 yards behind the deepest route sometimes, like just covering grass. It feels like you're playing 10 on 11 sometimes uh, against this against the opposing offense. In fact, I just saw the news. The Dolphins signed Melvin Ingram. He's coming back into the building here. So there you go. I was worried about the pass rush. That's funny. What what time? I pull up my Twitter account and see that they're going to bring in Melvin Ingram to fix a pass rush that was not very good on uh, Monday night. But Brandon Jones, like, I just don't know if he, he – I don't think he can play in the system, man, because I'm going to ask him to cover downfield, and he's just lost back there. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to what he's doing. I think that the communication for what guys do underneath is not there either. The number of times I see him, like, way beyond the defense is just inexcusable. Uh, Deshaun Elliott had a fantastic game. His support in the running game is fantastic. And then the communication, the activity pre-snap, you just see his instincts kick in so frequently where he's moving, you know, before what the offense does in anticipation of what they're going to do. It's nice to see. Uh, Cater Kohu – Thought he had some some rough work in this one. He was a fraction of a second away from a game-changing play where he hit Will Levis while the ball's still in his hand, but somehow the pass comes off of his hand going forward. That was just the whole game. Like It was like that. I think Levis' arm strength kind of surprised Cater on a couple of receptions where he was what looked like to be in good shape, but then the ball was just... He was a little bit late to react, and the ball got there with a fastball going right by his ear hole. And then there was... You know, one that came out fluttering on the penultimate Titans drive where he had a chance to pick it off and just kind of tripped over his own feet. So tough situation there. You know, he was completely lost in the 35-yard play to DeAndre Hopkins on that final drive, very clearly expecting him to stop and wheel out, which I think was the coverage for either him or a safety, but nobody did it, and that results in a room service 35-yard play when you could not allow it. I thought Jalen Ramsey, you know, probably his roughest game as well for the Miami Dolphins, and it's because of three plays. Like, he made plays all night long in terms of being, you know, not targeted, but he got a holding call on DeAndre Hopkins that resulted in a first down and third down. Gave up a big chunk where it looked like maybe he expected help inside and didn't get it, but he gave the inside access for a big play. And then on one play, he tried to jump a little like trap route uh, on a slot throw and leaves his man, Derek Henry, up the sideline. And that results in like a 15-yard play on second and 16. So not his best game, but I appreciate him trying to go make a play because we needed it at that point of the game. Um, that's it, man. Just tough. Very, very difficult. Let's go ahead and take a look at the snap counts here real quick. I got to find them before I move on. Offensively, uh, four offensive linemen finished the entire game, 72 snaps for Austin Kendall, Lester, and Eichenberg. But of course, Connor Williams plays just six snaps in the game, and Robert Jones comes in for the other 66. Tua goes the distance, the receiver splits. Waddle played 82%. Uh, Cedric Wilson had the next most snaps at 56%. Tyreek played just 47% with the injury. Barrios, 46%. Lots of receiver route, uh, playing time in this one. And Craycraft had 19% of the snaps. The running back workload went to Mostert for 64 and Achan for 46. There's some carryover there, obviously, with Ingold getting 40% of the snaps. There's lots of 21 personnel. Jeff Wilson got one snap in the game. Julian Hill got 15, while Durham Smythe, uh, had 78% of the workload. So you kind of know how this, the snap counts work and how the depth chart flows at this point of the season. Defensively, you had three guys go the distance, Brandon Jones, Duke Riley, and Jalen Ramsey. X missed just one snap of the injury that he sustained in the first quarter. Um, the rest of the defensive backs, Cater played 87% of the workload, lots of nickel defense in this one. And then you also had 
Uh, Elijah Campbell played 25% of the snaps, which, you know, he's a special teams guy for the most part. Elliott played 75% of your snaps. There's your, that's, there you go, 25 plus 75 equals 100, right? So uh, that's 18 snaps for Campbell that we really missed to Sean Elliott, I thought, out there in the game. As far as your front, Wilkins, 87%, Sealer, 86%, 62 and 61 snaps, respectively. Those guys are beasts. They also had some help from Deshaun Han on eight snaps. Raekwon Davis played 28% of the workload. Jason Pierre-Paul got two snaps, and Cameron Good got one snap there late in the game. In the linebacker portion of the defense, David Long played 89%. Duke played the entire game, so they trust him in that green dot scenario clearly there as he wore the green dot in this one. And then I, I missed one more name here. Nick Needham played 11% of the snaps, and Ogba, 38% of the snaps. So... Really frustrating game, huh, guys? Sometimes it goes that way, but it is what it is. We'll move on. Hopefully, we get to the Jets game here soon because I can't wait to play another football game because I am distraught and beside myself. Let's get out of here. Drive Time Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Leave me a rating. Leave me a review if you are so inclined to do so. Also, go ahead and follow on social at Wingfield NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more, including the Jalen Ramsey breakdown. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy, he's coming home.